Nowadays, the advancements in forensic science, especially DNA analysis, has meant many unsolved murders, disappearances and crimes have finally been solved decades after they happened. In this list, we'll be looking at five cases that were solved as a direct result of science. And for many, this came after years of unanswered questions. Although as you will discover in one of these cases, when science does get it wrong, the consequences can be devastating. Here are five mysteries solved years after they happened. Sandy Bowen. In early August, 1997, Gwent police in South Wales announced that they were growing increasingly concerned for a woman who had gone missing from her home in Landogo, Monmouthshire. 54 year old Sandy Bowen was last seen by her husband, Michael Bowen. He told police he had dropped her off outside Newport train station on the afternoon of the 6th of August, 1997. She was heading to Folkestone in Kent to visit her daughter, Anita. It was Anita who reported her mother missing shortly after receiving a telephone call from Michael asking if Sandy had arrived safely. Anita was shocked as she wasn't even expecting a visit from her mother. A few days after her mother's disappearance, Anita issued an emotional plea appealing for information about the whereabouts of Sandy. She told journalists she would chat to her mother two to three times a week and said her disappearance was totally out of character. Michael Bowen was also invited to take part in the press conference, but strangely he declined. The search for Sandy turned out to be one of the most extensive and expensive investigations ever carried out by Gwent police. However, suspicion grew after police checked train ticket sales and railway station CCTV from Newport station and realized Sandy had not been at the station the day her husband claimed. Less than a month after Sandy's disappearance, her husband Michael was arrested and charged with her murder and the search for her body commenced. The search was mainly focused around Wentwood Forest in an area close to the village of Landogo between Tinton and Monmouthshire where Sandy lived. More than a thousand hectares of woodland was searched using thermal imaging equipment. Police divers were also called in to search the nearby Wentwood Reservoir, but they found nothing. At Michael's trial, a web of deceit and domestic abuse was revealed in the Bowen's marriage. Sandy had worked at the Sloop Inn, the only pub in Landogo, and had been having an affair with the landlord, George Morgan, who also happened to be a friend of Michael's. The affair had become the talk of the tiny picturesque village, and Michael had become enraged after overhearing the gossip. But he too was also having an affair, and in effect, the Bowen's marriage was over. The couple had only been married since 1993, but Michael told the police by the time Sandy disappeared, they were leading separate lives. The trial heard evidence of his anger over her affair, and that a speck of Sandy's blood was found by forensic investigators in their bedroom. A key element to the case was Sandy's false teeth, which her daughter insisted she would never have left home without. These were found discarded in a waste bin at her home. Other personal belongings recovered from the house included her handbag, arthritis medication, spectacles, jewelry, and the remains of her purse and credit cards burned in a fireplace. The prosecution case asserted that Bowen, a forestry worker with intimate knowledge of the area, had murdered his wife in a fit of temper at their home, then driven off into the forest in the dead of night and concealed her body there so effectively that it would never be found. The jury were told that although there was no body, 
there was a compelling and overwhelming jigsaw of circumstantial evidence pointing to Bowen's guilt. After a five-week trial, including more than 76 witnesses, the jury took just six hours to unanimously convict him. Michael was sentenced to a minimum term of 18 years imprisonment. The judge told him that he had embarked on a remarkably callous and cold exercise in disposing of her remains. Despite the guilty verdict, Michael refused to reveal where his wife's body was, meaning for her family there was no closure. In 2002, Bowen finally admitted responsibility for Sandy's death, telling police she had fallen into the water during an argument on his fishing boat. But still, he didn't reveal where the body could be found, and the family's torment continued. Then in February 2015, Michael was released from prison on parole. Fast forward two years to 2017, and the reservoir at Wentwood Forest near Newport was being drained for the first time in nearly 100 years. That's when on February 2nd, 2017, a body was exposed. On March of that year, police confirmed that the remains were those of Sandy Bowen. The body had been attached to a ceramic kitchen sink and had laid at the bottom of the reservoir for 20 years after she was murdered by her husband, Michael. It was decided no further action would be taken against Michael following the discovery of the body, despite objections from her family. Sandy's remains were released to her family so she could be honored at the funeral she deserved, and Michael is free to this day. Deanna Bowden. On January 7, 1978, 21-year-old Arizona State University student Deanna Bowden had dinner with her parents and later met with friends at the Monastery Bar near 48th Street and Indiana School Road. Friends waved her off as she drove away, not knowing it would be the last time they would see her. Back at Deanna's apartment, her boyfriend and his brother drove over to see her, but when they saw she wasn't there, her boyfriend took his brother home before returning to the apartment. When he returned, he saw her car in the parking lot, so knew she was back. He had a key to the apartment, so let himself in. That's when he found her in bed, with a macrame belt around her neck and blood on her chest. He immediately cut off the belt, attempted CPR, and called the police, but it was too late. Deanna was already dead. Investigators found three stab wounds to her chest and male DNA on her underwear. However, police were unable to find any DNA match to anyone close to her, including her boyfriend and his brother. The case soon went cold and the friends and family of Deanna were left with no answers or justice for her murder. Fast forward 23 years later to 2001 and Tempe Police Department detective Tom Magazzeni picked up the case and was able to match the DNA evidence to a man serving a life sentence in prison for a 1986 sexual assault. At the time of Deanna's murder, he had lived across the street from her apartment. His name was Clarence Wayne Dixon, and he already had a string of convictions for sexual assault. On November 13, 2007, 30 years after the death of Deanna Bowden, Dixon stood trial for her sexual assault and murder. It took the jurors just 20 minutes to sentence him to death. Justice at last for Deanna Bowden, through the wonders of modern science. Dixon is currently on death row in the state of Arizona. Nova Welsh On August 18, 1981, three weeks after her disappearance, 
Nova Walsh's decomposing body was found in a utility cupboard at her home in Birmingham, England. A post-mortem revealed she died from pressure to the neck. The cupboard door had been secured with a blob of chewing gum. Three weeks earlier, Nova had dropped off her children at her ex-partner, Osmond Bell's home, while she went dancing with her new partner and friends. The next morning and afternoon, neighbours described hearing Nova crying and quarrelling with someone. The last a neighbour saw of her was at around 6pm on July 26th and said she appeared to be upset. Osmond Bell, who did not report her missing, told police he thought she had either gone off with her new boyfriend or to visit family in America. Following the discovery of Nova's body, Osmond Bell became the suspect and was arrested, but was later released due to insufficient evidence. He deliberately tried to mislead the police and Nova's family by claiming she had voluntarily left. He then further deceived them by writing and sending an anonymous letter suggesting someone else was responsible for her disappearance. For the next 33 years, Osmond Bell remained free and lived his life with an unbellished record. However, in 2014, his world came crashing down. When he was arrested for the murder of his former wife, detectives had reopened the case following advancements in DNA techniques. The forensically preserved chewing gum and letter seal was tested for DNA and both showed were from the same person, Osmond Bell. Osman was convicted and sentenced to 12 years, although only half was to be served behind bars and half out on license, which is obscene if you ask us. At the trial, the jury heard that there had been a background of domestic violence between Nova and Osmond, but Nova had broken free from the relationship and got a new boyfriend. Bal was jealous and unable to let go, and he attacked her in her flat. After strangling her, he concealed her body in the closet. Bonnie Heim. 23 year old Bonnie Heim disappeared from her home in Jacksonville in January 1993. Her purse, complete with IDs, credit cards, and cash, was later found in the dumpster of a nearby hotel, but the young mother was nowhere to be found. Her young son, Aaron, who was just three years old at the time, told police that daddy hurt mummy. However, despite extensive investigations, there was no evidence to link Bonnie's disappearance to her estranged husband, and the case would eventually go cold. After his mother's disappearance, Aaron went to live with relatives, and over the years, he repeated the claims, as well as saying, Mum's car is in the lake, and Daddy shot Mummy. No one, including his mum's family, believed him, thinking he was too young at the time to understand. But Aaron grew up in fear of his father, Michael, and he worried for many years that his father would come for him and vowed to get justice, although he could never have guessed the gruesome way in which it would happen. In 2014, just over two decades after his mother was killed, the then 24-year-old Aaron was awarded his childhood home in a wrongful death lawsuit against his father. A water leak in the home led him to dig up the backyard searching for the source, and under a concrete slab, he found what looked like a coconut shell. As he held this in his hand and looked into the hole he had dug, he could see teeth and the top of an eye socket. What Aaron was holding was the top of his mother's skull. DNA tests confirmed the remains were those of Bonnie Haim, and a medical examiner concluded she died from a homicide by unspecified means. 
However, a spent shell casing found where Bonnie was buried was the same type of caliber as a rifle that Michael Haim owned. Finally, in May 2019, after 26 years, the little boy who witnessed his father kill his mother got justice. Michael Haim was convicted of second degree murder and sentenced to life imprisonment. The sentence reflected the severe emotional trauma Aaron had suffered all of his life as a result of what he witnessed and that he still suffers to from this day. On behalf of all of us, our thoughts go out to you, Aaron. Ryan Starlings. In July of 1989, life seemed perfect for newly married couple, Patricia and David Stallings. They'd just moved from St. Louis and moved to a pretty little white house overlooking Lake Wawanaka, Missouri. And Patricia had recently given birth to their first child, Ryan. However, less than a month after moving in, Ryan became unwell. He was experiencing vomiting and difficulty breathing. Patricia called Children's Hospital and made arrangements to meet a doctor there, but she got lost trying to find the hospital and ended up at Cardinal Glennon Hospital instead. After being examined, Ryan was quickly admitted to the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit. Tests indicated the baby had a high level, what they then believed to be ethylene glycol in his blood, and physicians suspected that the boy had been poisoned with antifreeze. Ryan's pediatrician, Dr. Robert Lynch, called in the Missouri Division of Family Services and signed an affidavit, saying that he believed the child might have been poisoned. The Missouri Division of Family Services immediately took custody of Ryan, and he was placed in a foster home. Ryan was fostered for the rest of the summer, whilst investigations were carried out. On September 1st, 1989, Patricia was allowed a short, supervised visit to her son, where she fed him from a bottle. Just three days after the visit, Ryan fell ill again and was admitted to hospital. The next day, Patricia was arrested at her home. She was later told her baby had died and she was charged with Ryan's murder as they believed she had poisoned him. On February 17, 1990, while Patricia was in jail awaiting trial, she gave birth to another son, David Jr. He too was placed in foster care but in March, he developed similar symptoms as those that had affected Ryan. Tests revealed that he was suffering from a rare genetic condition called methylomatic acidemia, MMA, in which the body produces propionic acid, a compound that differs by ethylene glycol by one carbon atom. David Jr. recovered and was returned to his foster carers. However, Patricia's trial still went ahead and although the Stallings defense attorney, Eric Rathbone, noted the link and asked an expert for further advice, he did not investigate the possibility thoroughly enough and was not allowed to advance the theory in court without sufficient evidence. Also, the prosecutor at the trial, George B. McElroy, considered the sibling's diagnosis irrelevant to Ryan's death, and the judge agreed. The jury convicted Patricia Stallings of first-degree murder and she was sentenced to spend the rest of her life in prison. However, George Alroy was troubled by the case, particularly by press reports and the initial suggestions from Stalling's attorney that Ryan might have died of an extremely rare genetic disorder, the same disease his brother David had been diagnosed with. McAlroy started to do his own research and called on experts to evaluate the evidence. 
Ryan's case was featured on the TV program Unsolved Mysteries and piqued the interest of William S. Sly, professor and chairman of the Department of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology at St. Louis University. And he conducted additional tests on Ryan's blood that seemed to confirm that he died of MMA, not deliberate poisoning. In an unprecedented move for a prosecutor, McElroy acknowledged an emotion filed with the court that Rathbone's defense had been ineffective and called for a retrial, which was granted. After further testing of Ryan's blood by experts, it was agreed that in all likelihood, Ryan Stallings suffered from MMA. McElroy became convinced Patricia was innocent. On September 20th, 1991, George McElroy announced that the charges were dismissed and he personally apologized to the Stallings family. The same day, David Jr. was returned to the custody of his parents. In 1993, the Stallings settled a lawsuit against the labs and hospital for several million dollars. It's believed if he had been treated correctly for MMA, instead of poisoning, he may have lived. Unfortunately, there is no happy ending to this case. On September 17, 2013, David Jr. also died at the age of 23. The Stallings eventually divorced and David Stallings Sr. died in 2019, aged 53, after a long illness. The Stallings case continues to be cited as an extreme case of a metabolic disorder that mimics a criminal act and it can only make you wonder how many more there have been over the years. So, that's five crimes that were solved years after they happened. We hope you've enjoyed this video and as always, we'll see you in the next one.